2: Two.
0: They are who we thought they were, and we got about to the well, hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the Westlake right, Titans. F left. 372 Y stick C
1: The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I gonna go to college? I'll just play football.
2: Hey, what's up? Hour two underway. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast service, friendly service. That's what you get at Farm Bureau. We stay connected to you because of the number one network in Mississippi, C Spire, where they are customer inspired. Well, I don't always name prediction, uh nail. I don't always nail predictions. I don't always get them right, but I happened to get it right on Florida Auburn. You know, pretty much the entire country was on Auburn on this thing because they looked good and boy they had the resume and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just a different deal going on the road to A&M versus going on the road to an undefeated Florida. It's just different, isn't it? It's harder. Why is that? You know the fans at Florida in the swamp at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium are closer to the playing surface. It's a little more smothering. Yeah, well, Matt, there's a hundred thousand though at Kyle Field at Texas. A&M. I know it's bigger, it's taller, but it's just a little farther away from the field. And I just think it's every to their credit, everybody out in Texas. And at A&M, they're all nice. Everybody's nice. Even when they're loud, they're nice. It's not intimidating. It's intimidating at Florida, I think. Are they not
1: nice?
2: I don't think they're as nice. <laughs> I don't How think about there's... Death Valley? Yeah, that's that's a rough place to have to go also. So, you know, and, and the matchup is the other thing. The matchup is the other thing in this, where you could look at Florida and go, okay, the the strength of Florida's team, hands down is its defense, but hands down on the defense it's the defensive front. Sacks, you know, numbers way up there in terms of leading the country and all this kind of stuff, pressuring the opposing QB. And so you're telling me that for the first time in his young career, this true freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, who has not been an outstanding passer anyway, is going to go on the road in front of those fans in that atmosphere With all this on the line against that defensive front, he's going to be in a position he's never been in before. And sure enough, he was from this first series of the game on. More pressure on him in that one game than he'd had the rest of the year combined. And that was the difference. The matchup really just kind of favored Florida when you look at it. There would, I mean, Florida is not going to go outscore anybody. They're just not. They're pretty good. They got great receivers. They really do. Their offensive line, though, does not, they're not a big you know, road grading, run blocking unit. So Florida's offensive line, they're not going to go and just, you know, put up 40 points against just anybody they play. They're not. But, man, that defense is the real deal. And I don't care how old we get, and I don't care what the evolution of football is. It has been true. It still is true, and it's going to be true in the future. You will win more games with running the football and being great on your defensive line than anything else. Those two things right there make up for every other ill, it seems like. You can be average at quarterback, you can be non explosive on offense, (laughs) you can be, frankly, banged up, a little injured, maybe in your secondary if you're great on the defensive line, they're just going to make up it for what seems like everything. And guess what? Florida's great on the defensive line. So maybe that's kind of why I had a gut feeling. and And Florida gets the win over Auburn. The game was really closer than it should have been. If you watched the game, you felt like that's a game Florida should have won going away early. But what about this week? Florida on the road at LSU? In Baton Rouge? Roger tells me that all the odds makers are looking at this and they're calling it dead even right now. And I don't believe that. Right now on this Monday, I see LSU winning that game in Baton Rouge against Florida somewhere in the neighborhood of like, by the time it's over, 31 to about, oh, 17. That's what I see. Florida almost doubling them up. When it's all said and done. Did I say Florida? I meant LSU. LSU doubling them up when it's all said and done. I like LSU to win about 31-17. to 17. Because it's in Baton Rouge, that LSU team led by Joe Burrow has been better at home uh, for the better part of two years. Now They've been good everywhere this year, but you look at last year. It was in Baton Rouge when Georgia went in there and was supposed to be the world beater. and By the end of the year, they were. But LSU beat him. That was LSU. Um, that was the week after LSU had lost at Florida. So, anyway, all that to say, I like LSU this week. And we'll talk about that throughout the week. Okay. Coming up right about now, we're going to be chatting with uh, John Cohen. And hey, let me tell you why I want to talk to John. If you've listened, if you've listened, to Mississippi State baseball on the radio over the last couple of years. You know, John Cohen, athletics director, he's a former coach, former player, so he's a baseball guy. And he'll pop up in the broadcast booth and join Jim Ellis or whoever's doing the game every now and then. And people, fans, really enjoy it because John's kind of a baseball savant. He's seeing things, hearing things, noticing things that that others just don't see and notice because of, of his experience and his insight that really only you could get. You can only get if you played a lot of years or coached a lot of years. Well, he, frankly, he's done both. And so as I'm watching this Major League postseason baseball, and I'm screaming in the house yesterday when Dansby gets the hit, and I scared my wife to death.
1: And Swanson in the air to left field. That ball is hit well. Ozuna looks up, and that's down off the wall. Hamilton scores the tying run. It's a double for Dansby Swanson.
2: And, how about you know, and by the way, that's another SEC guy out there. Dansby Swanson, the starting shortstop for the Braves, gets the hit to tie the game, scored Billy Hamilton, a kid from Taylorsville, Mississippi, tied it up. Next batter, Duvall, slaps one out there into center field, drives in two, and you take the lead, you win the game. It's just so exciting. I'm watching all this. There are so many times where I was tempted to pick up the phone and call John Cohen to get an explanation of something, but I didn't want to bother him on a Sunday. So instead, we're now bothering him on a Monday. And he's on your radio right now. Coach Cohen, for this segment, your coach, is that okay? Yeah, no, we're good
3: with that. No problem, Matt.
2: All right. So uh, lots of baseball. And and I do want to just, before we go anywhere else, um, a guy you coached, recruited, know very well, Dakota Hudson on the mound for the Cardinals today. In you know, what, you got to approach like it might be the last one of the year, an incredible pressure situation for Dakota. What do you look for?
3: Well, you know, I mean, he's he's going to be pitching at home in front of some of the best fans in all of professional baseball. I, I grew up a Cardinal fan, Matt, and now I just kind of cheer for our kids no matter where they are. But um, there's something about that town and, and pitching in front of your home crowd. It can go either way, and you, know, you can get too amped up and, and not be able to locate the baseball. Um, or you can use that energy and, and really, uh, you know, pitch well. And he, he is just, man, he has pitched so well down the stretch. Really, really proud of Dakota Hudson.
2: The um, That cut fastball. There might be people listening, John, who, uh, you know, they're fans, and they say, I've always heard this term, somebody throws a cut fastball. But what does that really mean? For, how would you explain to them what that is?
3: Well, if you're a good pitcher, Matt, everything is a fastball it just might have a different grip and that's the case with cut fastball so you know so you're throwing and in his case he's creating you know upper 90 mile an hour arm speed the question is the grip and the grip is what really is going to impart the spin that's going to create the friction that's going to make the ball move one way or another what what he's got going right now is he's got a cutter of course it's going to move away from variety and into a lefty, and he's, he's got the two seamer that's got big time movement and sink away from the lefty and into the righty. So if you're at that level and you have you know velocity and you can with the fastball move it in or away, you got pretty good stuff. And, and then you then you have you know the deception that's coming out of a six foot six inch frame. Um, that's something that, that's really special. But you still got to challenge your strike zone. You got to get ahead. Um you know, it's like my good friend Butch Thompson used to say, you know, we're just in the real estate business, location, 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 right?
2: That's right. No doubt about it. Well, and baseball can, can be so cruel sometimes, too. It's just this funny game, which I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm looking at Dakota, you know, he was so good in September. So good. And he had some wins in there, you know, where he beats the Cubs, he beats the Nationals, and those were games where he didn't strike out a bunch of guys. But then he goes out his final yeah. his final outing, he strikes out ten against the Cubs but gets the loss. You know, so sometimes the team and the individual can be separated a little bit.
3: Well, it's like that old saying, you know, the strikeout is fascist and it's uneconomical. You know, it's uh <laughs> it's you know, to strike somebody out on average it's gonna cost you about five and a half to six pitches somewhere in that range. Whereas if you get an oh oh ground ball with some sink now you're engaging your defense, and now everybody's on the balls of their feet ready to make a play. You know, those those early, those three or less pitch outs are just huge when you're trying to create momentum for your team on the mound. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so I, I think you're willing to trade those strikeouts for for early action-oriented outs for Dakota Hudson.
2: Yeah. yeah. De- talking to Dakota Hudson, he's on the mound tonight for the Cardinals or this afternoon against the Braves. John, as I was watching that game uh, yesterday and the Braves come back, so much is made about the decision to walk a guy and pitch to Dansby Swanson for the Cardinals. So they've got the tying run on second base and Billy Hamilton, the pinch runner, and a walk McCann, who represents the go-ahead run in the ninth inning, put the go-ahead run on base on first base and pitch to Swanson. So from a managerial perspective, I'm not asking you to critique that decision, but what? how can... I mean, a lot of people look at it and go, well, how can you make a decision to put potentially the go-ahead run on base? So why do that in, in your mind?
3: Well, I think, I think you, you know, there's this analytics information that's not available to us. Okay. And most, most major league clubs now have a guy sitting there with a laptop in, in there just, you know, looking at the information of the matchups. And I guarantee the reason they did that is because of, of matchups. Uh That you know, pretty sure that they felt like the numbers indicated that that was the right thing to do. Again, in the big leagues, you have so much information. You have Mm -hmm. because you you're playing the same people all over and over again. A little more difficult in college, but certainly at the major league level, that's what the numbers are telling you. You know, to do it's amazing. Just watching the NFL now. You know, I I, I caught a little bit of the Chiefs game yesterday, and it said if they kick a field goal right there here's their chances of winning the game analytically versus scoring a touchdown, you know, and they had to make the decision. Do you try and kick the field goal first or do you, or do you try and score the touchdown? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. These numbers, um, although I, you know, I, I was an English major and you, uh, you look at what Mark Twain said, he said, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. (laughs) So, (laughs) I think it's one of my favorite
2: quotes. Yeah, my favorite is that statistics are like a bikini. They'll show you a lot, but not everything, you know? And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of truth in that as well. And baseball, very much one of those uh, deals where, you know, you've been a coach, I know, in the college game, John, but it's very much like managing a major league team in a lot of ways. And is it true that there are some managers who are analytics guys and some who aren't? And, and that, a lot of times, plays into their decisions also?
3: I think so. You know, what analytics doesn't know is it, it doesn't know that your guy who's hitting 320 has a bad ankle or, you know, that the guy you're putting on the mound, his shoulder's bothering him. You know, it's just looking at, at overall numbers. And, and, and so there's a human element. You've got to know your, your guys. And, and, you know, one of the things that's a real challenge to me of coaching professional athletes is this. Some of them are twenty years old, not very many, but some of them are twenty years old, and some some of them are thirty five years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're coaching. There's no other realm where you're coaching a range of, of maturity and, and a range of of uh, men. So, I mean, some of them have grown children. You know, uh, it, it's it's extremely difficult to to manage those types of personalities, and. You know, it's, let's be really honest here. At the professional level, everything is money-driven. In college, there are guys who are playing baseball or football or whatever it is who think, you know, this is my only chance to win a championship. I, I want us to win. Whereas maybe at the professional level, there a, lot, a lot of players are thinking about their next contract because they have a lot of people to provide for.
2: Sure. John Cohen on your radio right now. We're having a good time here talking some baseball, getting ready to watch some more baseball This afternoon, former Diamond Dog Dakota Hudson on the mound for the Cardinals in game four of the NLDS against the Braves. We saw uh, Brandon Woodruff, John, another guy you recruited and coached. He's just uh, flown to the top of the rotation there for the Brewers and a a big-time starter in the majors. Um, In recruiting, you go back and you look at some of these guys – did you ever have moments with like a Dakota Hudson or a Woodruff where you look at him and here they, here's this high school kid, but you are confident he's going to play in the major leagues? Do you Is that obvious the way it seems to be maybe like in basketball recruiting or football recruiting?
3: Well, I, I remember sitting down with Brandon Woodruff and telling him, I said, Brandon, when you're 25 years old, you're going to be a big leaguer and you're not just going to be a big leaguer. You're going to be a high-end major league arm. Um, because you know, you're, you're, you're going to need four or five years to pitch through some failure. And that's one of the difficult things about coaching at the collegiate level. You just, if you want to win championships, it's hard to let the young player fail. Mm. Whereas minor league baseball is set up for that. You know, you go out and pitch 20 times in a row, 20 starts in a row, and you don't have a lot of success. You know, the major league club doesn't really care that you're, you know, not having success when you're 21 years old. Well, the Mississippi State fan base really cares (laughs) if you're going to have success with with a 21 year old kid. Um, Brandon had an unbelievable attitude, great work work ethic, um, unbelievable family. Um, you knew it was going to happen for him, but I kind of felt like he was 25. So when he, uh, when he made it to the big leagues, I'll never forget, uh, He I I texted him, and he called me right back, and he said, hey, Coach, I'm 24. I'm not 25. I'm in the big leagues, and I'm 24. So he had the last laugh there. But so proud of him and, and what all our big league guys. I mean, the Adam Frazier's, the Hunter Renfro's. You know, we got a lot of guys in the big leagues now who, who are doing a lot of neat stuff. And, of course, you're right. We're about less than an hour away from another pretty significant thing happening, you know, one of our former guys pitching in a – very important playoff game in Bush Stadium.
2: Sure. Does your schedule allow you to watch much of this postseason baseball?
3: You know, I'm going to a speaking engagement. I'm heading down to uh, <clears throat> down through the Jackson area to do a speaking engagement tonight, and uh, so I will watch on the phone while Nell drives me.
2: There you go. At a boy. <laughs> well, you know you're you're big time when you can talk someone who is more important than you into driving you around. You know you're. You know, you're doing a good job, John.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's just because she doesn't, she doesn't like my driving. So yeah. she's the one who has to drive. She, yeah.
2: didn't, she didn't trust you. I see. That's it. And she must really love you then. Well, all right. Well, look, safe travels um, to the folks who get to see you. You know, um, I'm sure they're looking forward to it. And thanks for a little time here today talking some baseball, John. It's always fun. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. That's John Cohen. He's a former baseball player, baseball coach at Mississippi State, as you know, and uh, now as the Athletics Director. Yeah, that was probably a personal thing. I, again, I'm watching the game yesterday. Probably the thing that you know made the light bulb go off for me was, here you are in ninth inning. Cardinals have gotten this incredible outing from Adam Wainwright. He'd held the Braves to no runs through seven and two-thirds and, ho- and then hands the ball off to the uh, Cardinals' bullpen. Who, won, uh, what was his name? Andrew Miller comes in and gets Freddie Freeman swinging with that third out in the eighth inning. And boy, they're just cruising. All they need is three outs in the ninth. And this uh, hot shot base hit to left field by Donaldson got it started a double to get a guy get the tying run on base for the Braves. And they pinch hit Billy Hamilton, uh, pinch run Billy Hamilton, who's the fastest guy in a ballpark. Out at second base. You know, if it's deep enough, like he's a threat to tie up and score from second. Like he's, you know, like, you know, world class speed at second base, the Mississippian from Taylorsville. And so up comes Marcakis to bat with no outs and the tying run on second base. And I'm thinking, okay, the speedy Billy Hamilton, you're going to bunt him to third base, right? You're going to bunt him over to third base so that you got the tying run on third with one out and then a even a with Hamilton even a shallow fly ball he scores to tie the game. At least you're extending the game, but they did not bunt him over. They let Marqueca swing, he strikes out. Strikes out. You're like, "Oh boy, here we go." And then the next guy up is McCann, they walk him on purpose and put that winning run. What's effectively the winning run, not the tying run. The tying run's already at second. They put the winning run on first base. And I'm going, oh boy, now if this comes back to bite you, that's a really tough deal right there. How are you making a decision to do that? And I immediately thought of John. I wanted to call him and ask him, but I didn't want to bug him on a Sunday evening or afternoon. And so I'm glad to get him on today. And it worked out for Atlanta, but he's right. And and at the end of the, when it was all said and done, the Cardinals manager's sitting up there and he's going, well, we're just looking at analytics. Dansby Swanson was 0 for 6 in his career against our guy on the mound and You know, we're going to take our chances pitching to him and a chance to get a double play and get out of this thing. First pitch, Dansby Swanson sees. A little bit of a mistake. They leave it in the heart of the plate. It was not on any corner. It was just up in the middle a little bit and bang, off the left field wall. Tie ball game. Next batter, Braves win it. Of course, they had to get the outs in the bottom, but I'm just always fascinated about the mental chess match in the game of baseball. All right football on the docket next i'll get your texts and your calls in the farm bureau studio stick around
3: you're listening to the matt wyatt show
2: A little birdie is giving me confirmation that Jake Wimberley's analytical formula is looking like it may be in agreement with my prediction on the LSU-Florida game coming up this weekend. I like LSU obviously at home there, but maybe a little better than some lines you'll see come out there. I think LSU's... Set to put it on them a little bit. Big emotional win for Florida at home. Crowd in their favor, favor. And now let's hit the road and go try to defend LSU's offense. Now, now Florida's defense will put pressure on LSU. Florida's defense is going to hit Joe Burrow more than he's been hit. All that's going to happen. So, Florida will get some stops. But when I see it all said and done, I expect like a 31-17 type game for LSU. We'll see if that happens. From a rivalry point of view, how,
1: how does this game stack up? I mean, yeah, that's a good question. You because know, you know, sometimes some Ole Miss fans will tell you that they're real rivals, not MSU; it's LSU.
2: Yeah, well, they're idiots. All of those people who say that are just <laughs> fooling themselves, and those are the kind of people who they—they're not necessarily the most attractive. And they look in the mirror, though, and swoop their hair.
1: take from Matt.
2: They look in the mirror, and they swoop their hair over, and wear a nice button-up shirt. And when they look in the mirror before they go out at night, they really are convinced that they are hot. They're convinced. In reality, they're Stuart not. Stuart Smalley used to say? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. <laughs> I, I believe in being really... If you, it, 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 Affirmations just, with Stuart Small. I just believe in being really honest with yourself. <laughs> just real, give it one hundred. I mean, look, there are times when maybe you aren't as honest with total strangers or with others. Somebody says, "Hey, what do you think about my new truck over there?" Well, you may think it's ugly. It may be ugly. Well, you don't don't hurt his feelings. Tell him it looks good. Oh, I like your truck, man. a boy, proud for you. But when it comes to you yourself, look in the mirror and just be honest. Man, you're ugly. <laughs> okay, so that's really what that is. That's you know, that's just a talking point. They yeah, really need a smaller mirror for the bathroom, I think. Yeah. It's too much ugly. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, you remember several years ago they came up with a trophy for the LSU and Ole Miss game? Do you know that? No, I didn't. Exactly. That's my point. Roger, Man, you, you work. you set me up on that one. You got me. Roger, you work. At a, I mean, you're, you're around sports guys and sports shows and have been for years every day of your life, it seems like. And not even you can familiarize with the trophy they supposedly came up with that Ole Miss and LSU play for. Yeah, so it's a shock. All... Did they really do that? Yeah, they did. And then didn't like the way the first one looked and redid it. Yeah, and not a soul knows what it is or what to call it or anything. That's just the point is I'm making to you is that Does there Ole
1: Miss are see the MSU is like their ugly stepsister or something.
2: Yes, they're not proud to be. That's exactly right. Oh, that's exactly right. There's some you know some of the Ole Miss fans that they don't want a rivalry with State because you know it looks better. You know, perception is better if they could be seen as. The uh, fight and scratch and claw and hated rival of LSU because LSU is big, bad, and powerful. And they've got recent national championships and yeah. a big they bask, national, in reflected that's ex- bask in their reflective glow. That's bask in their reflective glow. And that would, and certainly if they pull that off, then from a perception standpoint, it'd be great. But see, that's part of Ole Miss's problem and has been for a long time is way too many people thinking in terms of perception and ignoring reality now I, I could see where you could see that as an
1: aspirational thing no that doubt trying, that you would no like doubt. to be equivalent to lsu because, because that's there has to be some of that parity to be a rivalry it?
2: well it does it, it yeah it'd be an
1: interesting one anyway
2: yeah it does and you know and look again i'm, I'm sitting here talking about reality the reality is that you know back before integration it was two big bad football programs right across the state line it was and state wasn't on the map and and look Ole miss and lsu had some knockdown drag outs man and those two schools didn't like each other and it, they looked forward to that game and they had it I, I mean the um what's his name the guy who um oh shoot it had the famous punt return in an LSU Ole Miss game years ago that people still talk about. The, pr- the thing is, it's 2019, you know, and pre-integration was I like, heck, man, none of us were alive. Okay, so, yeah, Billy Cannon, thank you so much on the text line. I couldn't remember. Billy Cannon. Fast. Yeah, so what has happened is, you know, in our lifetime, which, you know, again, anybody 40 years old or younger wasn't alive – in a time when LSU and Ole Miss were really on the same level in terms of football schools, LSU kind of moved on into another tier. It's just what happened. Okay. And, um, so if you look at it, you know, from a recent standpoint, it would be good if Ole Miss could just tear away and become LSU's rival year in and year out, but they can't and haven't and won't. And what, To double down on that, too, for those people who really kind of want to look at it that way, is the other thing that history has done, not only has it moved LSU away from Ole Miss, but in a lot of ways it has moved Mississippi State past Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss still has an advantage. I think they have, you know, in terms of dollar signs, every year they equate Ole Miss's program to be worth more Actual dollars, as it stands right now, than, say, states is. But um, on the field and everything else, you know, they, they, so anyway, I guess in term, what I'm saying is in terms of reality, um, it doesn't reflect what some people want you to see it as in terms of perception. And then every individual can make a decision. Do you want to pay attention to perception? Fine. Go ahead. That's your life. You can do what you want. Or do you want to look at reality? And I just choose to try my best to look at reality. Right now, though, I'm going to look at the phone line, Divinity Equipment phone, John in Jackson. What's up, John?
0: Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Just right. Listen, I heard you talking about uh, looks and people's looks. Well, one time, a long time ago, and you and Richard, when y'all did a radio show together, uh, y'all were doing it at Dickie's. I brought my daughter up there to meet y'all, right? Yeah, and she told me she said I didn't realize the good-looking one was also the smart one. She's talking about you.
2: She's <laughs> so
0: talking about me. I don't yeah, believe. I hey, and or not. Yeah. I don't
2: believe you for one second. I think you're just making that up.
0: No, no, no. She told me right when we were them before we walked the floor. You know, I walked on the floor, she was fascinated. You know uh, that she met all. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, another thing. I know it's football season, but last. But you were talking about fishing, professional yeah. fishing, and there's mm-hmm. another Mississippian who's, who's uh, rising up on the third floor. floor. Um, well, I, I wish you would talk to think about your, your <laughs> attempt at that. You know, and um, yeah. fishing, and you're talking about fish risers and side finders. Well, I fish that. And just to give you an idea of how advanced fishing has got it, when I brought my boat in the water, my kayak, you're looking at about eighty five hundred bucks for buy my, you know, reels and everything. Wow. And fishing is a science. Yeah. You know? It yeah. just really is. And I wish I was better at But the last thing I'll say is I just I will never forget you told me a story about you. I think you were on Pickwick mm. in February and it was freezing rain going sideways and you we were like, What the heck am I doing? Uh huh, do you know?
2: John, that's a true <laughs> that's story. I
0: did.
2: Yeah. I so, was done with it. Joe that was actually in Texas. That was at a tournament in Texas. And, um, and, and yeah, I'll tell Roger that story in the break and then let him decide if it's entertaining enough for the air. But, it, but yeah, it was, the, it was the experience that I needed to convince me that there were way too many fish close to home to just go try to catch them. <laughs> John, I appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank
1: you. You're the good-looking one. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was
1: several years ago. You know what I mean? Hey, on this hey on this program, you can still have that distinction.
2: (laughs) What difference does it make though? We're in radio. There you go. (laughs) Y'all stick around.
3: You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show.
2: Sure did. Wanted to be a professional tournament bass fisherman. That's what I wanted to do, among other things. <laughs> I was. I wanted to do an outdoor show on television. I wanted to be a pro fisherman like Bill Dance or Orlando Wilson, something like that. And I wanted to write outdoor articles for magazines and stuff. I wanted to do all that stuff. That's what I wanted to do. And the tournament fishing thing, Roger? We had a February tournament in Texas at Lake Sam Rayburn. I had no money, just enough to, like, get out there for two days and get in the tournament. And um, I was catching them. I was confident. It was 60 degrees and sunny during practice. And the night before this tournament began, cold front came through while I was sleeping. Woke up the next morning, had ice and snow on my boat. We're fishing in 28, 29, 30-degree temperatures spitting ice and snow all day long. I'm frozen, frozen. Anybody knows me, I am cold-natured. I get cold easy. I will hang in there and be just fine all day long, and it's 100 degrees. I'm fine. You let it get 40 degrees, and I turn into a big baby. I start complaining. and won't go outside. I hate it. (laughs) It was freezing. My hands aren't working right. And I'm telling you, at these big tournaments, Roger, they have someone who doesn't have a boat, but he's a fisherman in the tournament. He's in the back of your boat. They call him a non-boater, and you don't even know them before the tournament. You meet them, and they fish in the back of your boat all day. And if I had known this guy a little better, where I could totally trust him, I would have said, hey, look, man, you just stay in the boat and fish all you want. Put me out on the bank. I'm building a fire. Come back and get me. <laughs> and I would have. We didn't know him. I was miserable. And during that experience, and of course, the fishing changed with that kind of weather. and You know, it just proves that some people are better at it than others. I wasn't good enough to figure it out once the weather changed like that. And so I was miserable. And by the end of the first day, there was a two-day tournament. At the end of the first day, I, I looked up in the sky and said, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. I get it. And this, this right here is for me. I get it. And I'm taking my butt back to North Mississippi and when I get there I'm gonna, I'm going to learn how to catch all the fish right around my house before I come driving all the way back to Texas again for another one of these stupid things. It was a bad <laughs> bad weekend.
1: I knew exactly where I was when that happened. I I just r- realized that because okay, I Okay,
2: was... Roger. Yes, I didn't say this on the air, but what y'all what Roger's talking about, I told him this was the exact same time that you remember the space shuttle exploded and the debris fell into parts of Texas and Louisiana back in about, what, what were we talking about here? 2000 and what? Four? Or just whenever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Because when Hard I to left. to believe it's been that long, but yeah. When I left to drive home, Roger, part of my drive took me through, you know, Natchitoches, Louisiana and, in parts of Texas there, I think Nacogdoches, Texas, but you're not too far from Toledo Bend Reservoir. And there were government vehicles and things that they had roped off, debris out in the middle of fields, off the side of the road and everything. So 2003 is when that was, yeah.
1: mm-hmm Sure was. Yeah, they, were act- they were acting like that stuff was highly dangerous. I don't know what mm. kind of chemicals it was. I think they just want people to stay away from it yeah
2: though let me tell you though roger the, the craziest thing about that was what I felt because I remember it, it was during the week I, I want to say it was during one of the days or early morning it was still dark outside so it was early early morning before one of the days that we went out to practice for this tournament this fishing tournament and what I re- the way I remembered I felt it and heard it but it was a, a real short, like, when I say short, I don't. It, it's not when you think explosion. If it happens over your head, even if it's way up there, what you picture and what you think about is boom, right? This one just like boom, you know. Yeah. But that's not what it was. Like a sonic boom. Yes, it was a prolonged, very loud, thunderous vibration, as if a helicopter. Was hovering over the cabin I was sleeping in, so if you think about what it would sound like, the ch- 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 and and just the vibration and the ongoing and things shaking on the wall, and so that's actually what I thought it was, you know, at that time. I'm just up eating breakfast, ready to go take the boat to the lake as soon as the sun comes up. That's what I thought it was. I thought that loud rumbling, prolonged vibration. Just things shaking on the wall, pictures shaking on the wall. I thought there must be a helicopter who's really low flying right over us and staying here because it was incredibly foggy out there on Lake Sam Rayburn that morning. It must have been really
1: close to to where you are or
2: to where you were then when when it exploded. I mean, overhead, obviously. And I remember I didn't even really know what was going on until I, I take the boat to the ramp can't get in the water for a while you're kind of waiting for the fog to clear it was so thick couldn't see anything and then later i finally get the boat in the water and i'm on the lake and and saw another fisherman who mentioned to it said hey did you feel that explosion this morning i said what explosion and he said man the space shuttle blew up last night over our heads up in you know ever how many you know miles it was up there that was yeah. the challenger wasn't it no the challenger was the one in about 1980 oh okay so this was a columbia then Right. This was Columbia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, just awful. I'll never forget that. All right. Let's do this here. Yep. Okay. So it was about 2003. Someone nailed it for us there. And Billy Cannon, we had the Billy Cannon reference earlier on the show. Excuse me, on the show. And I don't think I realized this, but the same texter says that Billy Cannon was actually from Philadelphia, Mississippi, of all places. I did not know that. I did not know that Billy Cannon was from Mississippi originally. How could I have missed that all that time? I don't know. We were talking about Florida versus LSU. On Twitter, Jason says, I expect to see more of that Emory Jones at quarterback for Florida this Saturday. If he plays like he did in his limited time versus Auburn, we'll never see Trask again. Kyle Trask, the starting quarterback last week for Florida. He said that vaunted Auburn defense had very little for Mullins offense with a Mullen QB. He ran it right up Auburn's nose. And I remember that. I thought the same thing, Jason. You know, but obviously he, he was high on a couple of throws. You could see, you know, maybe not quite ready to start delivering the ball in a pass game. And so as soon as they could, when, Tr- when Trask came back with the brace on his knee, they put him right back in there. Um, but you can see why they like Jones. You definitely could see it, for sure. Um, I just think again the the way Auburn experienced life on the road in the SEC with the noise and all that. I mean, the same thing. Now we're going to turn it around, and it's and this week. It's going to be Florida's turn. It's going to be every. You're going to take what Auburn experienced in terms of atmosphere and having to fight through that. And multiply it times two this week for Florida, in Baton Rouge, it's going to be crazy. And no, LSU is not dominant on defense; they are not. You don't, in any scenario, blow out or not, you don't give up thirty something points to Vanderbilt unless you're not great on defense. LSU is not great on defense; they will give up some points, and Florida will move the football. Some, but what I see is an atmosphere that's going to help Florida. Uh, LSU is going to hands down have the best quarterback on the field. And like last week, a big advantage in that game for Florida was that their receivers were, were these big playmakers that Auburn really didn't have and have a way to get it to them. Well, that's a wash. I mean, there's a whole bunch of NFL receivers on the field this week in Baton Rouge for both teams, for LSU and Florida. So it's one of those where the atmosphere is going to help LSU's defense. They'll play better. And even though Florida, yes, will get pressure on Joe Burrow, they will get stops, they will force some punts, they will hit Joe Burrow some, he's still going to hit here. They're going to get theirs in the neighborhood of 28 to 30, 31 points, something like that. Okay, and you're right, the jerk telling me this on the – uh and I'm reminded of this on the text line. Two of the touchdowns at Vanderbilt were defensive touchdowns. But still, they gave up yards and points to Vandy. Right? Gave up a big 40, 50-yard run. Then Vandy punches it in on the goal line, go up 7-0 in the game. They did no such thing against Ole Miss. Um, So, uh, yeah. Gator Nation, Texas show, and says, just tuned in. Just wanted to say it's great to be a Gator. LSU, what we going to do to you is personal, Gator Nation. Gator Nation, my advice to you is, as a Gator, this week, don't make anything personal because I think you're going to be sorely disappointed if you do. That's what I would say. This week, Gator Nation, I would say save the trash talk until after the game.
1: <laughs> Man, it's got to feel good to be
2: 6-0, though. Shoot, yeah, it does. Man, enjoy it. Yeah, that may be the hey look, maybe that's the take. You're six and zero. Oh, have fun, right? It's like hair. Somebody goes, Man, that kid's hair is too long, he needs a haircut. And I'm like, No, if you can grow it, grow it. That's right. It's coming a day when you won't be able to. Hog Jowl on the text line says, Matt, in the seventies I was the owner editor of an Arkansas Fisherman magazine and TV program. Had the opportunity to fish with Bill Dance and Jerry Reed, among others, also fished several regional tournaments never got to spend time with my wife and kids as i always was on the road and i missed my family too much that i hung it up man no you're not, you you are not kidding hall joe it looks fun it's a whole lot more fun to be in the presence of your family i couldn't throw them yeah. back in like you guys do you take him home and eat him with you crazy <laughs>
1: <laughs> i ate a few i
2: just say i'll just leave it at that we follow bill dance around throw it over here bill Put them in my live well. All right. Good show. See y'all tomorrow. See ya.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.